Good morning and welcome again to our worship service. We're very glad that you are here today. If you're visiting, we invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity you have. We're so thankful for the privilege that we have to be together today to worship God in spirit and in truth. I appreciate the songs that we have been able to sing together today under the direction of Brother Billy. We're always grateful for the opportunity to think about heaven. In our study today, we want to ask the question, where will you spend eternity? In looking at the book of Revelation, of course, it is the last book in the New Testament, the last book in the Bible. And in Revelation chapter 20, we have before us the judgment scene. John said he saw a great white throne, and he saw the one who sat on that throne. In verse 12, John said, I saw the dead, the small and the great, standing before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. When you come to the close of chapter 20, you make the transition into chapter 21. And really, in chapter 21, we would say the smoke has now cleared, the dust has settled. And John pictures before us, pictures for us, the eternal abode known as heaven. Couched in that eternal abode is also a reference to the home of the unrighteous, the place called hell. As we think about where will you spend eternity, I would submit that there are a lot of great questions that you and I can, can ask in this life. As a matter of fact, when you begin to probe the scriptures, you find that any number of questions are asked or raised from time to time. No doubt there are many probing and penetrating questions that merit an answer. But probably the most sobering of questions, where will you spend eternity? In Revelation chapter 21, we have the two abodes spoken of. On the one hand, you have heaven. On the other hand, you have a place called hell. Ultimately, you and I will one day reside in one of those two abodes. The first thing that I want us to think about has to do with the hope of heaven. When I think about heaven, the word that comes to my mind is happiness. There are no doubt any number of words that could be used to convey this place called heaven. But I want us to think for just a moment about what John has to say about heaven. The first thing that I would call your attention to is the city called heaven. Listen, if you would, to what John said in verse 1 of chapter 21. He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. There are two things that I believe 
we need to examine in light of this city called heaven. First has to do with the beauty of heaven. When you think about the beauty of heaven, when you think about what heaven will ultimately look like, what comes to your mind? I'm not sure that you and I can accurately visualize the beauty of heaven. I know that we live in a very beautiful world. We see evidence of the handiwork of God everywhere. The psalmist said, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament shows his handiwork. Everywhere that you and I look, we see an imprint of the handiwork of Almighty God. There are no doubt some places that you have visited in your lifetime and you have been moved by the beauty of that visit. Well, when we begin to look at the picture afforded us in scripture of heaven, it is indeed a very beautiful place. It is a place that you and I ought to desire to spend in eternity. Let me just call attention to some of the statements made concerning the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. In verse nine, John said, one of the seven angels said to him, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God and her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And then drop down if you would and look at verse 21. We're not gonna take time to read all of these verses, but look if you would at verse 21. John said the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. When you begin to read what John has to say about heaven, you have to be impressed with its beauty. Now, I think that John here uses human language to convey, to convey unto us as human beings the beauty of this city. I'm not sure that we can grasp with our finite mind the beauty of this place, but it will indeed be a beautiful place. Sometimes I think about the earth and the handiwork of Almighty God and how beautiful the world in which we live is. If God has made a world so beautiful, no doubt heaven will be far superior in its beauty. 
But then I want you to think with me about the blessings of heaven. We talk about this city called heaven. John, I believe, in a very succinct way, identifies for us the blessings of this heavenly city. Look, if you would, at verse 4. In verse 4, John said, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. And there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Here is a list of what we might call no mores. There are some things that you and I, from our vantage point, will no more have to deal with. Number one, there will be no more separation. John said, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. You and I have felt the sting of death. We understand what it means to lose a loved one, whether it be a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, a grandchild, a friend, a neighbor. This past week, one of my good friends stepped out into eternity, somewhat unexpected. A young man, but nonetheless now in eternity. In the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 12, we read about King David. David, as you know, in that context, is lamenting the sickness and ultimate death of a child that was born to him along with Bathsheba. When that child died, David said, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Death is a separation. There is a separation of the body and the spirit, according to James 2, verse 26. That applies to the individual. But there is also a separation that you and I feel, because we lose that loved one. Every time we stand at the side of an open grave, we are reminded of the sting of death. And John is telling us that never again will we experience separation, the separation that comes by death. Not only will there be no more separation, but John tells us there will be no more suffering. We live in a world that is replete with human suffering. Job said, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. When you read the history of man, you read about the history of human suffering. There are so many people that have suffered and who are suffering. There are some who will suffer if the Lord delays his coming. Suffering is a reality. In the book of Mark, in Mark chapter 5, we read about a lady that had a blood disease. And the Bible tells us that she had been plagued with this, this disease for some 12 years. And the text tells us that she had suffered many things from many physicians. I think about a lady that had gone from doctor to doctor, looking for a remedy, looking for someone that could ease her pain, her suffering. 
Unfortunately, she was unable to find someone to alleviate that suffering until she met Jesus. But nonetheless, John is saying unto us that we will never again experience human suffering. John said there will be no more pain. Today, you may be feeling the effects of human pain. It may be mental, it may be emotional, it may be physical. Pain is a reality, suffering is a reality. And John is saying unto us, there will be no more separation, there will be no more suffering, and also he said, there will be no more sickness. What about sickness? The fact that we deal with sickness, everything from the cold to flu, pneumonia, bronchitis, over and over again we battle human sickness. In the book of Genesis in chapter 48, Joseph was notified that his father Jacob was sick. In John chapter 11, word was sent to Jesus about his friend Lazarus. Mary and Martha sent word and said, he whom you love is sick. Sickness is a reality. And yet in that land that is described as fairer than day, there will be no more sickness. I would also suggest there will be no more sorrow. John plainly states that in verse four. He said there will be no more death nor sorrow. Think about that for a moment. Never again will we experience human sorrow. In Acts chapter 20, we read about the apostle Paul. He had met with the elders of the church in Ephesus and in the closing verses of that chapter. The Bible tells us that the people on that occasion wept. And Luke tells us they sorrowed most of all because they knew they would see his face no more. Let me tell you what. In this life, it is often accompanied with human sorrow in many, many forms. And John is saying that those who have the opportunity to spend eternity in this grand city will never again face sorrow. And then I would suggest unto you that there will be no more sin. Every day we battle temptation. We are confronted with sin. We think about the consequences of sin, the difficulties imposed on the human family because of sin. Look if you would at the latter part of verse 27 in chapter 21. John said, there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. What John is saying there is that sin will not defile our heavenly home. Look around in our world today. Can you and I escape temptation? The answer is no. Can we escape sin, the effects of sin? The answer again is no. Look at all of the Look at all of the, the earmarks of sin in our world today. It may be the case that you and I, 
the very street we live on, there are individuals who are engaged in unrighteous activities. We talk about murder and drug addiction and drug pushers. We talk about people who steal. We talk about individuals who engage in any number of vile behaviors. And the bottom line is this, we live around this kind of behavior, this kind of, these kinds of activities. There are certain parts of town we know you better not go there at night. Why? Because bad things happen there. Well, let me tell you what. There is coming a day when the righteous and the unrighteous will be separated and the righteous will never again be confronted with sin and unrighteousness. We're not going to have to live next door to abusers of, of themselves and abusers of one another. We're not going to have to live next door to murderers and thieves and liars, etc., because they will be banished to another place. There's another thing I want you to see in Revelation chapter 21 as we think about the hope of heaven. And this has to do with the communion in heaven. Look at verse 3, if you would. John said, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Two things here. Number one, we're going to be in the presence of God. We'll be in the presence of deity. John makes that evident. In verse 23 of chapter 21, he said, The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine, for in it the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is its light. Imagine being with God throughout all of eternity. Not only will we be with God, but the Bible tells us we will be with the people of God. That is, we'll be with God's people. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 13, John said, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Who will be in heaven? Well, we know God will be in heaven, and we know that God's people will be in heaven. There are a lot of great things that I think about that relate to heaven. We look at verse 4 and some of the things that we discussed just a moment ago, no doubt, are incentive for us to want to go to heaven. But I think one of the things that makes heaven, will make heaven so sweet, is to know that we will be with people that we love and cherish. On a personal note, there are some people that, that I love that are now in eternity. And I can tell you right now, I want to see them again. I want to be with them. And to me, that's one of the things that makes heaven so appealing. To know that we will be reunited with loved ones that have long since passed this earth. To know that we can go home to be with them forevermore there will never again be that, that parting that we experience here on planet Earth. Never again will we say goodbye. What a great thought. 
So we talk about the city called heaven, the communion in heaven, and also the confirmation about heaven. We're not talking about a figment of our imagination. We're not talking about some pie-in-the-sky type theory. We're talking about something that is reality. Listen, if you would, to what John records in verse 5. Then he, who, then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Let me tell you, if God said it, we can believe it. God said, relating to heaven, write, these words are true and faithful. You remember what Jesus said before he died on the cross of Calvary? Ascended to heaven. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Jesus here is placing his divine stamp of approval on this place we called heaven. He's saying, look, it is a reality. You and I, we ought to take comfort in knowing that, that God is confirming for us that heaven is a reality. And then, what about the condition stipulated for going to heaven? Well, in verse 6, John said, He said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Really, the book of Revelation is a book of victory. And John is writing to people who are experiencing persecution, and he's saying to these people, you need to hold on, you need to go on, you need to be faithful until death. Why? Because God has something very special for you. It's a place called heaven. John is saying here, those who inherit this blissful state are those who overcome. Was that not what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 when he said, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. What a great city. So, the hope of heaven, the happiness of heaven. But here's the flip side of the coin. Just as surely as there is the hope of heaven, there is the hopelessness of of hell. When I think about hell, the word that comes to my mind is heartache. When you begin to search the scriptures and you begin to explore what God has said about eternity, everything that you read about heaven is positive. Everything that you read about hell is negative. There is not one positive good thing said about hell. What about hell? First of all, the truth about hell. What is the truth about hell? In truth, hell was not prepared for you or me. The bottom line is hell was not prepared for any person. Jesus said hell was prepared for the devil and his angels in Matthew 25 verse 41. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. And in the book of Revelation, the Bible talks about this ultimate date with destiny that the devil and his angels have. And the bottom line is God is going to cast them into the lake of fire, into the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. 
and they will be punished or tormented day and night forever and ever, according to Revelation chapter 20 at verse 10. That's the truth. Now, when we talk about, when we talk about hell, we need to look at it through the backdrop of God's provisions, God's plan, God's ultimate desire for the human family. God has done everything possible to save the human family. When you begin to look through the scriptures, you'll find that over and over again, there's what might be called the great invitation. Do not think for a second that God desires any person to be lost. As a matter of fact, Ezekiel in the long ago said on behalf of God, he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And he's simply saying there, God does not delight in the fact that some people are lost. Now I know that there are some individuals who may not take that view of hell. They may not take that view of God as it relates to hell. But the bottom line is God has done everything possible to ensure your salvation. The Bible says God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, 1 Timothy 2, 4. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Don't think for a minute that God wants to see you lost. Now, God's not going to send anyone to hell. Sin is what will take individuals to hell. And yet, here's what Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Again, this great invitation. Was it not Jesus that said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden? What's the promise? I will give you rest. God wants you to be saved. So we think about the truth of hell, the truth about hell. But as we think about the truth and hell, what about, what about the terror, the torment of hell? Well, again, there are no positive pictures in the New Testament associated with Gehenna, the hell of fire. Jesus had more to say about the subject of hell than any other person in the New Testament, which I believe simply underscores the fact that we're talking about a very important subject. Again, nothing favorable said about hell. Look, at, look if you would, at verse 10 of chapter 20. The Bible says the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. That expression forever and ever is used in the book of Revelation. And really all John is saying there is that in terms of duration, hell is never ending. Just as heaven is never ending, hell is never ending. Drop down and look if you would at verse 13. John said, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let me tell you what. A lot of bad places out there in this world. There are a lot of places that you and I can find ourselves in that we really don't like. One of the worst places that I can think about is war and being on the battlefield. 
And I understand why some people equate war to hell because it is truly a terrible, terrible thing. But I assure you there is not a place known to the human mind that can equate to hell. Under no circumstances do you want to lose your soul and go to hell. The Bible says regarding the rich man in Luke 16, in Hades, he lifted up his, his eyes in torment. Hell is a place where people will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. As a matter of fact, it is a place of unspeakable horror. Hell has been described as a place where people die and never live and live and never die. I promise you, you don't want to go there. What about the tenants in hell? Here's the question, who's going to hell? John tells us who's going to hell. Look at verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, that would be fornicators and adulterers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Here's what you need to understand. Hell wasn't prepared for you. Who's going to hell? Number one, alien sinners, people who have never rendered obedience to the gospel. When Jesus comes, the apostle Paul said that Jesus will render vengeance on them that know not God and obey not God the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have never come to Christ in faith, repentance, confession, those who have never been immersed in a watery grave of baptism for the remission of their sins, they're not in Christ. And Jesus said, if you do not believe that I am here, you'll die in your sins, and if you die in your sins, where I am there you cannot come. Those who have never obeyed the gospel, they've not contacted the blood of Christ. They're not a part of the family of God. They have no hope. We can extend to them no hope. And then to alien or apostate saints, that is individuals who have gone back into the world. Again, they have no hope. But look again at verse 8 very quickly. John says the cowardly, the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, that is the fornicators, the adulterers, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. In verse 27, he said, there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Please hear me very carefully. I think sometimes we soothe our consciences. We soothe our conscience by having this idea that maybe God is not going to be so strict. I mean, after all, we're human beings. We've been made in the image and the likeness of God. I mean, surely God will give me a pass. I mean, after all, God doesn't want me to go to hell. It's true, God doesn't want you to go to hell. But God is not going to bend one inch when it comes to heaven and hell. The righteous will be in heaven. 
Those who have lived a life of rebellion, they have no hope. The Bible says God cannot lie. If God cannot lie, if the scripture cannot be broken, what he has said about the redeemed will stand true. The flip side of that coin, what he has said about those who choose to live a life of rebellion, those who say, I'm not going to obey the gospel, I'm not going to live for God, I'm not going to be faithful, what he has said, it's going to stand. We may cry, we may plead, we may shed many tears, we may beg on our hands and knees, but it's not going to change anything. Where will you spend eternity? You know. We think about eternity and we always think about something way out into the future. And it may be. But listen, once you die, once you depart this life, your fate is forevermore sealed. I do not know when death will come, nor do I know when Jesus will come. That's why we have to be faithful. If you're here today, you're not a member of the body of Christ, our plea to you, come to Christ. Come that you might have have life eternal. Be baptized into Christ so that every sin can be washed away, so that you can be among the redeemed. If you're unfaithful, come home as we stand and sing.